Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Church, God is calling us to a new level of faith. God is calling us as individuals and as a church to come to a new level of faith. Now, I don't say this as a pressure thing at all. What I'm saying is that God calls us to walk in him and to to grow our faith, to become more and more in faith in him and to allow our faith to grow. Faith is like a muscle. You've probably heard this before um, as an illustration, but faith is like a muscle. We must use it to get it to grow. If we don't use it, it begins to atrophy. And so we're going to talk about something this morning about believing and unbelieving. We're in Numbers chapter 13. If you want to have a look in your own Bible, Numbers chapter 13. This is a well-known passage. This is a very well-known passage. You will have heard it preached on. You have probably read it. You would have heard things quoted from this. It's a very well-known passage. And it speaks to many, many things. But one thing more clearly than anything else, and that is belief versus unbelief. Belief versus unbelief. As people are going towards, walking towards, and taking on the promise of God, belief versus unbelief in how we approach the promises of God. And there was unbelief that spread, the unbelief of a few spread to many, And it caused one of the greatest consequences, one of the greatest negative consequences that you will see in the Bible, where a whole group of people missed out on what God had for them because the unbelief of a few people spread and became unbelief of many people. And instead of walking into what God was giving them in belief and in faith, they chose to stay in a place of unbelief. So we're in Numbers 13. We'll just do a little bit of um, reading here and see this sad consequence that came about because of only one thing, and that was unbelief. We'll start reading in verse 1 of, of chapter 13. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Then it goes on to tell the names, so we're not going to worry about any of that. But we have to understand, God didn't just send some random people in who had extra time on their hands. He sent leaders. God said to Moses, send in a leader from each tribe. A leader from each tribe. So God was sending in, God was commanding Moses to send in people with spiritual authority. Go into that land which I am giving to them. I am giving you this land. Go in and have a look at it. So we won't go through all the names of all the guys in that. But have a look at verse 16. It said, these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. So it's the names of the leaders. But then it says this. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. Do you know, as I was reading through this this week and preparing, that's the first time I've ever paid any attention to that. That's the first time I've actually ever really seen that that Moses took Hoshea, son of Nun, and gave him the name Joshua. 
Why is that here? In this moment, when they are about to go into the promised land, why is Hosea's name changed to Joshua? Well, Hosea means salvation. So that's a cool name. I'd be asking, why are you changing my name? I like that name. But Joshua means God is deliverance. So in this moment, they are going into the promised land. One of the leaders that is chosen, a man of spiritual authority in his tribe, who is chosen to take the people or to go into the land and explore it before the people are going in. His name is changed to God is deliverance. Not his own name being salvation, but God is deliverance. I believe God is saying you will no longer be requiring the, the strength, you will no longer be relying on the strength and the power of men. I am your deliverance. God is the deliverance. Because we see later on, it is Joshua who takes the people into the promised land after all the kerfuffle that we're going to talk about. After all of that, it is Joshua who takes them in. And Joshua's name is not salvation because it is not Joshua's power that took them in. It is God's delivering power that took them in. God is deliverance, not people. Don't look for your deliverance in people. I've so often heard people say, even from pulpits, even when I was in Bible college, we might have to take that out. But I've so often heard people say, get, along the right, get alongside the right people and doors will open and opportunities to come. God is your deliverance. God is your deliverance. Stop looking to people. I have learned, don't look at people. People will let you down. I let people down. I'm not pointing at others and saying, oh, you let me down. We always let people down because of the people. And until we get to heaven, people are going to let us down. God is your deliverance. So if someone has let you down, learn to forgive quickly and look to God. Don't stay angry at people because they were never your deliverance. God is your deliverance. Then he gives instructions. It, then it tells us the instructions that Moses gave them. So we're not even going to read that either because it's just going to do this. Look there, look that. You can read that later. Come to verse 23. It says, When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. So let's just stop for a moment and think about the size of the cluster of grapes. When's the last time you bought grapes? Did you need someone to help you put them in the shopping cart because the cluster was so massive and it was so heavy? What's happened to our grapes? That's my question. I want better grapes. The grape cluster was so amazingly large and heavy. In other words, the abundance that God was offering was so amazing that a cluster of grapes had to be carried on a pole by two men. This is the abundance of the land that God is promising to them. No wonder they saw giants. Who's got, what are the people going to look like that eat these grapes, right? They're going to have to be giants. So two of them cut right, and so, along with pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. So that's how impressive the grapes were. The place got a name because of the grapes. Because Eshkol means cluster. It means cluster. 
In other words, God's abundance that he was giving to them was amazing. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. So here comes the report. We went into the land in which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Now this was God's promise. This land is amazing. It flows with milk and honey. So they come out and they give the report, yes, it's exactly as God said. So what they can see with their eyes is exactly as God said that it was. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, showing the impressive grapes. But the people, now the report begins to change. The good report suddenly turns into a bad report. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Now the tribe of Anak or the people group of Anak is the tribe that it's believed Goliath came from. So we all understand Goliath was a very huge guy that David dealt with with one stone. So because again, God is deliverance. And so these are the same people that Goliath came from. Verse 29, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people. Someone speaks up for God because they brought a good report. Yes, it's exactly what God said. Then the good report turns into a bad report, but we can't do it. It's too much for us. They've forgotten the part where God said, I am giving it. And they start, looked at it and said, well, can I handle this? Can I manage this? No, we can't do this. And the good report becomes a bad report. So one person speaks up for God. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, am I allowed to say shut up? I feel like he said, guys, shut up for a minute. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we. And they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. That's one of the saddest lines, I think, in the Bible. They spread the bad report amongst all the people. They said the land we explore devours those living in it. What does that even mean? I don't even, I've never understood what that means. Please get away. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. So again with the giants. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we seemed the same to them. We looked the same to them. This is the story of God's people. They are delivered from Egypt, which represents, uh, Egypt represents our old life. And God is bringing them into the promised land, which represents the new life that we have in God. They have crossed the Red Sea. God has miraculously brought them across the Red Sea, which we know is, um, is a picture of moving from our old life into our new life. Some people say that it's a picture of baptism. Um, that's up to everyone to decide for themselves. But God had fulfilled, fulfilled everything that he said he would do. And he is about to fulfill the next part. 
and that is going into the promised land. They are now on the precipice of God's promise being fulfilled. They have seen God, um, they've, God has seen them through the plagues, they've seen the 10 plagues, they've seen where they have been sent out of the land, they have, God has seen them across the Red Sea, miraculous, 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 one miracle after another. They come through, they are on the edge, they are on the border of the promise. They're standing on the border and they decide not to go in. They've come all this way in God's power. They've come all this way trusting God. They've come all this way by miracles. And they stand on the border and they go, we're not going in. We're not going in. And the guys who, who spread the bad report, the 10 men who spread the bad report, did not survive the day. And the generation who said we're not going in never, ever got to go in to the promised land. So what happened? The foundation for their thinking should have been God said it. The foundation for their decision should have been this is what God has said. I am giving you this land. See, either we believe the promises of God are yes and amen or we don't. Faith isn't easy, but it's simple. We believe or we don't believe. The promises of God are yes and, am, uh, yes and amen. We either believe that or we don't believe. Faith isn't easy, but it is simple. So why didn't they go in? Well, the simple answer is unbelief. And we don't need to dig further into that because Hebrews chapter 3 verse 19 tells us that. It says the reason they didn't go in was because of their unbelief. The reason they didn't enter their rest. The reason they didn't enter the promise that God had for them. A place of rest. They saw a place of problems. God was offering them a place of rest. And Hebrews makes it clear. They didn't go in because of their unbelief. So that's clearly the meaning. But what I want us to think about this morning is what brought about the unbelief? What caused the unbelief? They had believed God. They had come out of the land. They had had the miracles. They were believing God. What brought about the unbelief? No one starts their journey with God in a place of unbelief. We all start our journey with God in faith. When we receive Jesus as our saviour, when we decide that God is our God and we're going to walk with him and we're going to be one of his people, it's a place of faith. No one ever starts the journey unbelieving. But some things can happen along the journey which can affect our, our ability to believe. It can affect our faith. It, it can affect our choice to believe. Like me, you have probably spoken to people who have been in, in church, whatever, have been going on with God, and then they've made a different decision. They've started to walk away from God. They're living a different life than they were living with God. And if you talk to them, they could probably tell you, and I've had people who tell me why they stopped believing God. And then they tell me the next thing that happened why they stopped believing God. And then they tell me the next thing that happened. And I think, why at the first place where your faith was shaken, wasn't it addressed? Why didn't we address 
Why didn't we do something that first moment that your faith was shaken? Because what happens is something happens that can shake a person's faith. But then they take and make another decision. They take another step. And then another thing happens. And instead of being here in the center of everything that God is doing, they've taken 10 steps and they're down here because they didn't deal with the first step. The first moment something happened, they didn't talk to the right people or they didn't talk to God about it or they didn't make a decision they should have made. And they've allowed this spiraling of unbelief. And this is what I see happened with these people. They ended up wandering in a desert because they spiraled into unbelief and they ended up as grumblers and complainers instead of people living in God's promise. Two of the leaders had a very different response to 10 of the leaders. Two believed and 10 didn't believe. So what is that about? I think part of it was their history. Their history. When past experience dictates our present thinking or our present faith. When things that have happened in the past dictate how I will live now. This happened to me in the past. That informs me that I have to worry about that so I'm going to make these decisions. This person said that to me in the past, so I accept that as part of my identity and therefore I can't take those steps of faith because I'm just not good enough. I'm the person that is whatever, whatever, whatever. When past experience dictates our present thinking, their past experience is 400 years of slavery. Generation after generation in slavery. And then God says to them, I'm bringing you out of that and I have something new. I have a promised land. I have a promise. I have not forgotten you. I never forgot you. I always remembered you. When you were going through that, I was always there for you. And here is the promise. Here is the promise I have for you and I'm going to take you into it. You don't have to strive. You don't have to freak out anything. I'm going to take you into it. But they're thinking was still generation after generation of slavery. Sometimes people find it hard to cross that, take that step and cross from old into new. We can be Christians and we can do it, be living the Christian life and we can be loving the Lord and we can be coming to church and we can be doing the things that God wants us to do. But still, we're caught up in our old thinking. We're still caught up in something of the old instead of living in the new, in the promise that God has given us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone and the new has come. See, in their history, there's also amazing miracles that God has done for them. In their history was all the things that God has done to deliver them, to bring them out of their bondage, to bring them out of their slavery. You can take people out of Egypt, but you also have to take Egypt out of people. We can come out of Egypt, but we have to decide that Egypt doesn't stay in us. Amen? I used to say, leave the past behind you. If you've been in this church any amount of time, you've heard me say it from the pulpit. Leave the past behind you. History is for the, uh, uh, not architects, who are they? Archaeologists. Thank you, Alyssa. I knew you would remember that word. History is for the archaeologists. But I've realized that's bad advice. I realise that's not good advice because you know what? God gave us memory. We all have memories. It's God-given. The Bible says count your blessings. How do you count your blessing? You use your memory of all the blessings that God has done for you. 
You use your memory to remember the good things that God has done for you. Sometimes we use our memories for the wrong things. So saying, just forget the past, leave it behind you, that doesn't work because we have a memory. So what do we do with that? How do we deal with the fact that we cannot actually forget our past? We cannot actually forget the things that have happened. We cannot actually forget the things that have been said. We cannot actually forget the times that it hurt. We cannot actually forget the times that we were rejected. We cannot actually forget those things. But God calls us not to walk in those things any longer, so what do we do? See, we can choose how we think. Maybe we need to start making some better choices with our thoughts. Maybe we need to start making some better choices with our thoughts. Choose thoughts that come from our new nature, our divine nature that God has given us rather than our old nature. Look at our history through the eyes of a redeemed person. I'll just tell you what I did, if you'll bear with me. This is something that I did. And maybe it will help somebody. Who's ever experienced hurt? If it's just me, I won't tell you any of this because there's no point because you've never experienced it. You've experienced hurt, yep. Who's ever been rejected in any way? Someone been mean to you? Someone betrayed you, done the wrong thing to you? I'm not asking you to go down memory lane and all start crying. I just want to make sure I'm talking to people who understand what I'm talking about. So I started to pray and say, Lord, that stuff that gets to me, that's happened in the past, sometimes it still gets to me and it hurts me. Lord, heal me of that. Heal me from that, Lord. But you see, he doesn't take our memory away, does he? He doesn't take our memory away. And one day I felt that he showed me, I now have a redeemed nature. I used to have an old nature. We've all been there. I now have a redeemed nature. The old is gone and the new has come. And I felt like the Lord said to me, start to remember that I was always there. So say someone rejects you and you go, I feel unloved. I feel unloved because I was rejected by those people. Well, think about the fact that God was there. God loves you. Amen? Do we all believe that God loves us? Do you know that you know that you know that God loves you? It's not something you have to remind yourself, okay, all right, all right, God loves me, God loves me. We need to get a revelation that God loves us, right? So when something happens from the past and a memory is coming and hurting you, well, God loved you there. So if that person didn't love you, it doesn't matter, God loved you. I have learned to redeem my memories by going back with my new redeemed nature and looking over those memories. I've actually learned to handle my memories differently. So when there's a reminder when somebody did something mean to me, I actually go, you know, God, you were there and you loved me. So when that person was mean to me, it didn't matter. I was actually totally and fully and completely loved by you. In that moment where I felt hurt, you were absolutely, totally loving me. So none of that actually matters. You know, Paul says um, in this, the verse before the 2 Corinthians 5.17, the verse that says the old is gone and the new has come when new creation. The verse before that, verse 16, he actually says, I never look at anyone the way I used to. I now have a new way that I look at people. And I do that. I look back at my memories and I go, I'm actually going to look at that in a different way. I look at that from the perspective 
of a person who is redeemed in Jesus, a person who is thoroughly, absolutely and completely and forever loved by God. We can never, ever, the Bible says, if your trust is in Jesus, you will never be put to shame. So when a memory comes to you, and this may not happen to you, but years ago, I'd be in bed. Don't, don't these memories always come just as you're getting ready to fall asleep? It's dark and it's silent. And I'd be lying in bed and, and something, you know, because maybe I'm oversensitive, but something would come and, I'd li- and I, would, I would cry. And I would say, God, heal me of this. But instead of the healing as such, I think God gave me the, I don't know, gave me the revelation of how to actually deal with that. What do you do when you feel rejected? I say to myself, I am completely loved by God. I am accepted in the beloved. I am totally loved by God. Someone says something mean. Okay, whatever. I'm completely loved by God. I'm totally loved by God. God thinks I'm beautiful. God thinks this. God thinks that. Whatever. Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't think I'm explaining it as well as I would like to. I'll go away and think of better things I should have said. Redeem your memories. Redeem your memories. Because if you don't, that will become your identity. Your identity will become, I get rejected. Your identity will become, people don't seem to like me. Your identity will become, no one ever notices me. Your identity will become, I'm a fairly unloved person, it would seem. Or whatever it is. Redeem your memories. What happened to these people was they didn't redeem their history. They weren't ready to let go of their history, which told them they were only allowed to be in bondage. They weren't willing to let go of a history, which told them they were not allowed to have these wonderful, new, amazing things that God was bringing them. So they found an excuse not to go in. It's too much for me. I'm not built for that. I must be a victim. I'm not right for that. And God has this amazing promise, but they're hanging on to who they used to be or who people told they were. They're oppressive, Egyptian, whatever, the people, the overseers that used to hit them and beat them. That's all they could see themselves. And God says, I actually have this amazing, you are going to be an example to the earth of what it is to have a good God. That was actually their destiny. The purpose was to be a group of people where the earth would go, we all want God because that group of people is so amazing and blessed. That is who we need to be. Paul says in uh, Philippians 4 verse 8, fix your thoughts. Fix. Fix means decide and settle. Settle your thoughts. Decide what your thoughts are going to be. Decide and settle your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We can choose what we think about. We need to choose better thoughts. Hang on, Paul. Are you actually telling me how to think? Yes, because it so affects our faith. It so affects our ability and our willingness to walk in everything that God has for us, our thinking. We need to choose better thoughts. Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because it all comes out of our thoughts.
The second thing we see here that I think why they didn't want to take that step, they're right on the border and they didn't want to go in, is their point of view. First, they came back with a good report. This land is as good as God said and more. This land is amazing. This land is wow. And God is giving it to us. But the good report quickly turned into a bad report. We saw these great things. Oh, what God, what God showed us is so amazing. But then we saw other things too. Those things were scary. They scared us. They scared us more than we were willing to take on the good things. They moved from excitement to excuses. Have you ever wondered why God told Moses to send people in? Because I used to read that and think, well, what, oh God, if they hadn't gone in, they wouldn't have seen the giants. They would have just gone in and you would have done what you were always going to do because you were always going to deal with everything. It was never going to be their problem. Why did you send them in? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, he wanted them to see how good he was going to be to them. He wanted them to go in and see how amazing was the land, how good he was going to be to them. You are my people. I'm going to bless you so much. You are my people. I just want to be so good to you. You are my people. I'm giving you the greatest land on earth. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. But the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. And it was like God was saying to them, I want to give you everything. I want to bless you so much because you are my people. The other reason I think he was letting them see what was there so they would rely on him. So that they would put their reliance on him. They would put their trust in him. They would see they couldn't do it. That's okay because we trust God. God will do this because God has said he would do it. It's like, say, a father gives his beloved son a new bike. And the father's like, go, on, go, go get it, go and go and ride it. And, and the father, the desire of the father's heart is to say, look what I bought you. I bought you the best bike that I could possibly buy you. Go and enjoy it. So the son goes out, but standing in front of the gorgeous, fabulous bike that dad bought is the town bully who's been giving him a hard time. And he's scared of him. And there's this bully standing between the boy and the bike. Does the boy then go back in his room and cry and say, I can't have the bike? No. The boy goes to dad and says, Dad, there's someone between me and the bike and it's too big for me. He's too big for me. What does dad do? Dad takes out the bully. We need to know that we've got a dad. And when the mountains are standing in front of us, he moves the mountains. That's what we sang this morning. When the giants are standing in front of you, he moves the giants. He's your father. He has promised an abundant life. What is causing you to not go and take the abundant life that God is promising to us? God dealt with everything. The walls of the fortified cities, they just had to walk around it and blow a trumpet. We all know that story. Caleb himself, it's recorded in the book of Joshua that Caleb himself went in and dealt with all the giants personally. He dealt with the giants that stopped a nation. God stood the sun still. The sun didn't set one day so that they could have victory in a situation. God dealt with everything. God dealt with the things that stopped the nation. God brought all these miracles to bring them out. But they wouldn't step in. You see, it's not what we see. It's the meaning we attach to what we see. It's our perception. It's our perspective on things. 
10 saw the power of God. Uh, sorry, 10 saw the power of the opposition. 2 saw the power of God. 10 saw fortified cities. 2 saw their future home. Only 2 said, this is our home. God is giving us this. 10 saw the size of the giants, but 2 knew the size of God. What do you see and how do you see it? It's not just what you see. It's the meaning you attach to what you see that matters. And the third reason I think they didn't go in, and we're closing with this. Got flies in here. Bad assumptions about themselves. They made some bad assumptions about themselves. We look like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. What are your assumptions about yourself that are causing you to not think the thoughts of, that God has of you? What are the assumptions you have about yourself that are not in agreement with God's thoughts about you? Agree with what God thinks about you. Have you learned to see yourself through redeemed eyes, through the eyes of a redeemed person? If you are still thinking the same old negative thoughts about yourself, about your life, about your future, that you were thinking 20 years ago, that you were even thinking last year, well, God has a new message for you. It is a message of hope, of future, of goodness, of blessing, of an abundant life. God has an abundance for us. It's the good news. God has called us to be people of faith, to be people who believe. And also to be people who believe and then spread our belief. Spread our belief to others. Encourage others to believe. It is so powerful. More powerful than you may know when you encourage another person to keep believing. Keep believing God. Don't stop believing God. Encourage yourself and encourage other people. I pray that all of us as individuals are going to be people who know how to believe God and who know how to encourage others to believe as individuals and as a church, that we will go forward and we will continue to believe God. Amen? This is one of the saddest stories in the Bible and it was just one thing. It was one thing that held them out. They just didn't believe. We can choose our thoughts. We can choose whether we believe. We can make these choices. And I want to encourage you as a church, let's begin to take our faith to another level. It's not easy. It's not always easy, but it's simple. God, I believe you. God, I believe you. I say that to God, I trust you with this. Something comes up, God, all right, God, I trust you with it. I trust you with this, Lord. I trust you with my children's lives. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my husband. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my future. Believe God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that we are here in your house. And Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross. You didn't hold back. As was said this morning, the, the horror that you had to deal with, but you didn't hold back because you wanted to bring us into the abundant land, into the promised land, into the abundant life. You wanted to bring us into that relationship with you. And so I thank you, Jesus. And this morning, I pray over us as a church. I pray over those watching online. I pray over those in the church who can't be here today. 
Lord, that we would be people who would always, always believe you. When the choice comes to believe or not believe, we will never even consider the unbelief choice, that we will just choose to believe every time. We will choose first, always faith, always believe God, always trust God, that it will be just become who we are, Lord, that our whole identity will be that we will know we are absolutely loved by you. We will know we are redeemed by you. We will know that we are people that um, can just believe you because you always, always fulfill the promises that you make. Lord, I pray for any people that are here today, Lord, and they are, their memories are giving them trouble. Things that have happened in the past are holding on to them. Things that have happened in their lives, they are still causing things today. They're still impacting on today. Lord, I pray over those people in the name of Jesus. And I ask you, God, to help them redeem their memories, to redeem the history. Lord, to look at everything that's ever happened to them through eyes that know they are loved by you, that you have loved them always and will always love them, that they are your child and there is nothing that can stand against them because they are your child. Lord, I pray for people who are struggling with their faith in whatever area, Lord. If there's a struggle in faith, struggling to believe in something. Lord, I pray that you would come upon them and help them, Lord, if they could talk to someone or whatever, Lord, give them wisdom so that they won't take the next 10 steps into further, 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 but instead they will bring it right and come back into that place with you, Heavenly Father. Lord, I lift us up to you as a church. Lord, we're here because you asked us to be here. There is no, no other reason, Lord. And so, Lord, because you called us as a group and you've drawn us together as a fellowship of believers here, I ask you, Lord, that you would give us wisdom. Lord, that you would empower us to be who you've called us to be here. That as a church, we will not hold back because of unbelief. But as a church, Lord, that we will take the steps you call us to take, that we will never step, stand on a border and say no. We will just take the steps you have called us to take. Give us the wisdom, give us the courage, give us the revelation. We ask this in Jesus' name because we want to serve you and fulfill your call for us as a church. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.